Hey there, this is Chad Grusin, and I'm your host for season two of the Early Admit podcast. I'm one of the co-founders of Early Admit and in Harvard Business School's 2 plus 2 cohort, where I'll be matriculating this upcoming fall. Before helping to start Early Admit, I was informally helping those who reached out to me on LinkedIn with their deferred MBA admissions applications, which is how I met our first guests of the season, my co-founder, Devon Gethers. In this episode, Devon and I discussed the pros and cons of applying to MBA programs via deferred admission. Spoiler alert, there are really no cons. Enjoy the episode. Devon, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me, Chad. It's good to be with you again. Of course, of course. How's everything going out there in Utah? Um, it's good. It's starting to get very cold, um, which is both good and bad. Good in the sense that it's going to be uh, great skiing, um, but a little disappointing to walk outside every day, freezing and shivering on my way to work. <laughs> Things are great here. Get out to wear uh, like a thermal under your suit, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well, hey, we are uh, here today. Our topic is why deferred, um, which I know there's, there's a lot of things we want to be covering in this session, um, but I'm excited to talk about it with you. I know you have some really interesting stories for how you've been able to benefit from uh, applying via the deferred process. But before we dive into that, I think it would be really helpful for our audience if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and your deferred application process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a little bit about myself. I, I'm originally from Tacoma, Washington. Um, I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah about 10 years ago. Um, spent my first two years of college at Utah Valley University, where I majored in behavioral science. Um, and then shortly after that, I made a decision decision to transition um, to the University of Utah. Um, started studying uh, originally in business um, and became very fascinated with finance. Um, so, sort of took the finance route, heard of the deferred MBA programs uh, about my junior year. Um, applied to several programs, um, received admission to several programs, and ultimately decided that Harvard Business School was where I wanted to attend, um, and graduated July of 2020, and um, am now currently working at a private equity firm um, based here in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and, you know, outside of work, love to um, just be active, love to ski. I love to lift weights. I love to fish um, and love to, you know, work on early admin with some, some awesome people like, <laughs> like you, Chad. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about myself. Perfect. And hopefully those are all hobbies that you can take with you when you move to Boston, right? Yes. Maybe we might switch to ice fishing though. <laughs> it's a little bit colder. <laughs> out there, right? and, 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 and skiing on hills instead of mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, they have some decent stuff up in Vermont. Um, I know. I'm actually, I'm actually really excited to go skiing with you in Vermont. I, I, I've heard good things. Um, awesome. Well, so speaking of uh, skiing, one of, the, uh, one of the big things that we talk about with deferred uh, MBAs is, is how it compares cost-wise and, you know, you don't have to spend skiing money for it. Uh, why, don't, why don't we uh, dive a little bit into that? Can you talk about some of the you know, financial differences when it comes to applying deferred versus applying through the standard admissions process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are, um, there are some major differences, I would say, in terms of first, as you apply, I would say 
to, to sort of um, set the stage, when you apply to a deferred MBA program um, and you gain admission to a deferred MBA program, you will not actually um, gain access to what your financial aid or scholarship um, would look like for that program. So you're really making a decision based on what program you really want to be a part of. Um, when you obviously decide to matriculate to that program, then you'll have a better understanding of what your financial um, aid package will look like. Um, and, you know, versus a normal admission process where if you get admitted, you would understand what your scholarship package would look like, financial aid package would look like across programs um, and be able to use that as part of your decision-making process. Um, is, is that what you were looking for, Chad? Yeah, I think it's also, you know, something that I have found a nice benefit is because schools know that the people applying deferred have, you know, less money, less disposable income. Um, a lot of schools have waived application fees altogether. And even the ones that the programs that do have application mm -hmm. fees are significantly lower than the yes. application fee. Um, and then that carries over as well into the deposit that it's a much lower deposit um, non-refundable deposit than it would be for, uh, you know, someone applying through the standard process. Yes, that those are all super good points. And, you know, another interesting thing too is, you know, there are a lot of individuals who take the normal admission path and sort of make that decision to pursue an MBA um, maybe a little bit later. And so now they're at a static point in time where they're understanding how to finance their MBA education versus in a deferred um, situation, you know, you have up to four years to start to, as best as you can, prepare for that that uh, that loan. Um, you could start to map out a little bit better um, financing options. Yeah, and make some you know potential career decisions knowing that you have that cost in the future, right? Exactly. Okay, so costs one big thing, and and some benefits that you get from from applying deferred. Um, I think the biggest one people talk about is, um, you know, the flexibility that comes along with it. Um, you know, obviously it looks a little different from program to program, but um, mm -hmm. in general, when you apply through a standard admissions process, you're obviously admitted and you go that year. Um, can you talk a little bit about the flexibility that's offered through deferred enrollment? Yeah, um, it, this is a great topic because, um, for me, I probably had a little bit of an atypical, I was probably a little, I was probably an atypical candidate in the sense that I had a couple of years of full-time work experience during my undergraduate. And so there was actually a point in time where I was wondering, should I go regular admission or should I apply via the deferred? And ultimately I, you know, made the decision that I, I didn't believe I you know, would be able to contribute um, or add as much value as I wanted to right after undergrad. So I decided to um, go down the deferred, um, the deferred route. And for me, that was really great because um, I believe that it, I was able to sort of choose um, what types of like career paths I wanted to go down. And I was less pressured to you know, choose a specific career path in order to enhance my odds of admission. Um, so I'd say there's for sure flexibility from, you know, what you're, what you're looking to do from a career standpoint and 
Um, I would also say there's flexibility to not stay pigeonholed within, you know, a, a specific track. Like you can, you know, let's say you wanted to learn a little bit more about tech um, for one year or two years. Well, if you defer, you have up to four years of deferral, some programs up to five, um, that's an easy pivot to go and try something else out right after that for maybe a year or two. And so there's just, there's a lot of flexibility. And I would say the programs definitely encourage you um, to seek new and um, different um, career paths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of different career paths, I know, you know, you, you and I both came from public institutions from, for our undergrads. And um, while we obviously learned a lot academically, uh, the, the branding of them compared to like a Harvard Business School, for example, is obviously very different. Um, I know you have a really interesting story about how you were able to leverage um, getting admitted to top business programs, not even going yet um, into your current role. Would you mind you know, telling our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, in terms of in terms of the um, being in private equity right now. Yeah, the just the benefits that uh, having the Harvard name or having HBS on your resume has has given you and and what you've been able to do with your career thus far because of it. Yeah, um, this was a eye opener for me. I would say in terms of the value of of a brand name like Harvard Business School. Um, after I was admitted to Harvard Business School, July of 2020, I remember being so amped and excited to share this news with, um, with the world, really. And I got on LinkedIn and um, I basically was like, I'm, you know, my wife and I are super excited um, that we were admitted to HBS. Um, and right after that, I got a couple of texts. I got a text from a previous employer um, and he said, hey, I heard a rumor that you got into HBS. And I started to you know, um, get him up to speed with where I was in terms of my career and, and, you know, the excitement I had at the, at that time of getting into HBS. And, um, he was like, well, we have an open position here. Um, and, and as, as an investment analyst at our private equity firm, um, would you, you know, would you be interested? And I was like, absolutely. And for anybody who sort of knows the career track to get to private equity, um, it is, it is very competitive and it's, you know, still today very traditional in the sense that it's typically requires you to, you know, do two years of investment banking or two years of consulting at a big three um, or literally go to business school. And during the summer um, of your, of, after your first year, um, go to a venture capital firm and sort of that's the, that's the process to break into private equity. And so, um, getting admitted into a prestigious deferred program allowed me to sort of position myself in a new track and it allowed me to fast track um, my career. And, you know, originally, Chad, I thought that this, I was a statistical anomaly, like for a minute. And I have actually seen use case like over and over and over again. I have a, I have a friend who graduated in 2020 um, he went to, you know, he went to BlackRock right after um, undergrad for like four or five months. And then um, he ended up breaking into PE. I have a friend at I Iconic Capital, which is a premier venture capital firm in San Francisco, another one at Insight Partners, another one at KKR. And these are all individuals who did not take your traditional path, but who are all a part of the HBS 2 plus 2 cohort. And so I think there are some corollaries that you can draw, draw from that. 
Um, and it just speaks to the value of, you know, um, firms being able to identify um, high talent early on and, and sort of HBS is a key indicator that you'll be a phenomenal employee. Yeah, HBS and, and, and all these other top business schools that offer deferred enrollment. Yeah, sorry, all, all of them. I'm sort of speaking for like the, the, the HBS was sort of my, you know, speaking from my part, but it really is across the board. And, and I actually have seen it with other friends who have gotten in to, you know, the Wharton Advanced Access Program um, to Stanford. Uh, actually, just I actually have a friend right now who's he lives in Boston. He got into Stanford deferred and he just he actually worked at McKinsey for like six months and you know, he, he hit me up and was like, hey, like, I want to get into VC, like, let's chat. And he just barely got a job in San Francisco and venture capital and um, super excited for the guy. Um, but again, it's just many use cases. So, yeah, I love that. Um, I think one of the big things that you've also been alluding to here um, is all these amazing people that you have met as a result of being in this deferral cohort, both within HBS, your school community, but also it sounds like across a lot of the different deferred programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, like when you start to think of what the value of an MBA is, at least as I think about it today, it's network and, you know, having the ability to network with individuals who are already admitted to these schools almost feels like a miniature sort of pre-MBA experience. Um, and you get to meet some, some very intellectual, um, very hardworking and brilliant people. Um, and some of that's proactive and some of that's just, you know, the type of, the, the type of um, people that these programs admit sort of tend to be people who want to learn about others. And, that to me is uh, an amazing community. Early Admit, I would say, has been sort of a flag bearer for bringing together and, and creating a centralized platform for a lot of um, you know top ten deferred MBA admits uh, to learn about each other, to network, um, and to share you know insights and, and other things. It's been an awesome experience on that on that as well. Yeah, and I, I think you know just being. It, and it goes with being affiliated with this brand, right? Um, that you're you're committed. These types of people that are getting in are just committed to meeting a lot of really cool, interesting people. And you almost get a mini business school experience before you even go in that way. Exactly. Yeah, Utah ski trip, stand up. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let, let's summarize what we've talked about here for a second. Um, I am, you know, putting myself in the shoes of a current senior in undergrad. And I am someone who wants an MBA. And you are telling me that if I apply deferred, it costs less. I get more flexibility. Um, I get potential more career opportunities and more time to network these with all of these individuals. Yeah. Where's the risk? What's the downside here? I, I don't believe there is a risk from the standpoint of, let's say you decide to apply to business school because you believe that business school is um, you know, high value in the future for you, and you could see yourself attending a business program, um, you're not going to be penalized if you, you know, at this point, if you don't get in and you decide to reapply in the future, um, you're not going to be penalized from an admission standpoint. Um, and, you know, on the what if chance you get in, you have all of the upside, all, you know, all of the 
um, the goods in your hand. And so it's almost like, I call it the Willy Wonka ticket. Um, it's, it's just the golden ticket. So, um, I, I don't see any risk, but you know, I'd like to, I'd toss it back to you, Chad, and ask like, you know, how do, how do you weigh the risk of, if there is one of applying to a deferred program versus a normal admission program? You know, what, what I tell everyone is if you are someone who is considering business school, you need to be applying deferred because there's no downside to it. Um, one of the things that we haven't even talked about yet when it comes to, you know, evaluating risk in a different way is knowing that you have that golden ticket, as you said, in your pocket, that Willy Wonka ticket um, allows you to try things that you maybe wouldn't if you didn't know that you had that waiting for you, right? Um, yes. So we have a lot of people that we've had the opportunity to meet through early admit and through all these deferred enrollment programs that are trying entrepreneurship or going into Teach for America or different volunteer programs that maybe wouldn't have wanted to get that experience otherwise because they saw it as, you know, potential risky or something lesser than, but knowing that they will be able to combine that experience, whether it goes well or not, and choose, oh, after two years, XYZ thing failed, or after three years, it failed, or, or you know, it, it made it all four years. Um, it, it gives you the opportunity to false, fall back on something, and that that's something you're falling back on, quote unquote, um, is an amazing opportunity to go to a top business program, right? Um, and, and that combined experience of something that maybe did or didn't work out plus business school is setting you up amazingly for the rest of your career. I, I totally agree. And like what you said there, like um, that, 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 that points me to an illustration of like, let's say you, let's say you apply and you get in and let's say you want to be an entrepreneur. Like we see this so often where, you know, you can go start something and it, it really does not matter if this thing fails because you know, you're going to go to, you know, you know, you're going to go to a top deferred MBA program. There's, there's almost like you have a safety net right there, as opposed to, you know, going and starting something right after undergrad, waiting to apply regular admission and things could go very wrong. And, you know, you might not get in or, um, or even after business school, right? Like you would have had, you know, pivotal experiences pre MBA that would help you out even during and after MBA as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Devon, I'll pose another question for you. You have obviously worked with you know, dozens and dozens of different candidates uh, throughout the application process at this point. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most common misconceptions or mistakes that people come to you with when they are first learning about and asking you about these deferred programs? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, you know, I've, I think uh, I think we've had a couple of blogs actually um, written specifically on this topic. So I would, you know, I would encourage everyone to go to earlyadmit.com, go click our blogs and uh, go find this one. But um, I think that there's, you know, first, I think there's a misconception around the ideal candidate. Um, and I think most people um, you know, most of the clients that I speak to today have a misconception of deferred programs are only targeting diverse individuals, um, you know, maybe from people outside of business degrees. Um, you know, people are, uh, you know, people are a little demotivated who might be international students or, you know, who might be coming from, um, 
overrepresented pools. Um, and I would say again, um, as with every decision in, in your life that you make, it's it's good to just evaluate the risk reward benefit. And in this case of the deferred, I believe the benefits outweigh the cost. Um, I would say, um, you know, some 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 mistakes that individuals maybe make during the process is waiting too long. Um, I think time is your greatest asset in this deferred process. And so, <clears throat> you know, if you know today that you are interested in a deferred MBA, um, you should start to prepare immediately. Um, you should start to um, strategically think about, you know, essay formation, who you're going to use for your recommendation, start to study for the exam early. You know, I, I, I would not delay studying for the exam. Um, and yeah, I mean, those, those are, those are probably a couple of things I would point out. So obviously, uh, you know, you and I have a little bit of bias towards HBS and the two plus two program specifically. Um, why don't we zoom in for a second there, since I have you on here and talk about what do you think the main qualities that the HBS admissions committee looks for in candidates that they end up accepting? Uh, I would say first and foremost, um, I believe that HBS is looking for, um, you know, leaders. They're looking for people who are excited about you know, solving complex problems in the world today, um, many problems in which we don't have the answers to. Um, and so, you know, they're looking for people who are going to be proactive um, and um, who are, you know, really trying to challenge the status quo. They, they you know, have both demonstrated leadership um, from a quality standpoint, and that doesn't have to be always professional. It could be within your personal life. Um, it's going to require you as an applicant to be a little introspective and start to think about times in your life when you've been a leader. Um, and it's also forward looking too, in the sense of, you know, where do you as an individual hope to make a macro impact in the world um, and start to really articulate that. Um, I would say number two, they're looking for teamwork. Like, um, you know, you, you, you can't go off into the world and solve some of the world's greatest challenges by yourself. It's going to require a shared framework. And so they're looking for people who have, again, who have illustrated in the past, um, you know, great collaborative skills. Um, they're looking for people who have intellectual curiosity. Um, so people who thrive in an environment that continues to challenge them to think in new ways to think differently um, and to also be empathetic in, in an instance where, you know, they've been sort of challenged to believe like they, like somebody who has, you know, uh, somebody who's thought something there maybe their entire lives and now somebody else has brought to them sort of a new way of thinking. It's gonna require an individual to be open-minded. Um, and so I think that these are a few characteristics that HBS specifically looks for in candidates. Um, and many of these are kind of broad scale, but um, you know, you can always find ways to double click and be more specific there. Yeah, I think that's great. I think another thing that um, you know, HBS and as well as a lot of the, especially the top programs look for is, you know, they are taking people from all sorts of backgrounds and 
I think you would know these stats a little bit better off the top of my head, whether it was 250 or 300, somewhere in that range, different institutions that were represented in the most recent uh, HBS class, right? From an undergrad standpoint, where they, I'm going to I'm not sure on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look up the stat actually. Um, I'll find it later. But um, so obviously, uh, you know, a lot of these top programs are pulling from hundreds of different undergraduate uh, institutions. And one thing that they want to make sure is that they are bringing the smartest people together um, here to, one, be successful in an academically rigorous environment, but two, just based on how business school works, um, you know, when people are networking and collaborating, it is going to be the most successful if you're bringing together the most intelligent people. So I think being able to portray that obviously makes you stand out a lot as well. Awesome. Well, Devon, thank you so much for coming on with us here today. Uh, I think we're bringing you back again later in the season. Um, so until then, say goodbye to all our listeners here. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. And thank you um, to everybody in the early admin community. Um, we are very grateful for you all. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Before we go, I want to give special thanks to Arinze for hosting and producing season one of the podcast. He's over in China now as a Schwartzman Scholar before heading to Stanford for his MBA in a few years. I want to also thank our producer for season two of our podcast, Cameron Cannon. Thank you for all your hard work making me and our other guests sound good. <laughs> I'm your host, Chad Grusin. See you next Wednesday.